The title of today's message is Sacrifice, continuing in our From the Ashes series. And we are in week five of six, so almost done with this one. And uh, at the end of uh, August, we'll begin in a new series that I'll talk about probably in the next couple of weeks. So we're going to talk about sacrifice tonight, going in the series again, From the Ashes, talking about how, re- how to rebuild your life when everything has kind of crashed to the ground on you. And we're going to be talking about today the sacrifice of Jesus and the impact of his actions and how they have affected all of humankind. To illustrate the idea of sacrifice, I wanted to share a story with you from the trenches of World War II. There was a man named John Robert Fox who was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. By all accounts, he was a smart, diligent young man who earned a place at Wilberford University. And there he uh, signed up for ROTC, meaning he not only finished finished college with a degree, but with a a rank of second lieutenant. When the war broke out, he took his commission and joined the 92nd Infantry Division, which was a segregated division for African-American soldiers that fought with distinction throughout the conflict. With his unit, Fox was sent to the European theater. In 1944, he found himself fighting against Nazis in Italy. And it was here where in the December of that year, he was tasked to stay behind in a small village in Tuscany. The village had been overrun by Nazis. Everybody was in retreat, pretty much running for their lives. But Fox found a house to hide in. And from the second floor, he used his radio to contact the, rear, the people in the rear by the artillery and called for fire to be directed into the village to get, in order to give the U.S. forces time to retreat and regroup and then launch a counterattack to try to save as many lives as possible. Fox specifically ordered a barrage of fire on his exact position. The gunner and artillery people who received this message pointed out to him, assuming it was a mistake, said, you know, this fire is going to come right down on top of your head with these coordinates. Fox, however, simply said, fire it. There's more of them than there are of us, and we need to save as many lives as we can. Well, Fox's act of sacrifice was not in vain. As planned, the artillery barrage indeed gave his comrades time to regroup and launch a successful counterattack. And when the U.S. Army entered that village, they found Fox's body surrounded by the bodies of over 100 Nazis. This story is to highlight this idea of sacrifice in our minds. And the sacrifice of this soldier who gave his life for an opportunity to give victory to his fellow soldiers exemplifies that to us. But more importantly, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ gives us life. It gives us victory. It gives us the opportunity to continue to fight and continue to, to strive and win this battle for him. The sacrifice of Christ is so sufficient that there's no need for any other work to be done. Jesus did it all. All to him I owe. 
And there's much to learn from Jesus in this area. But let's get started with a word of prayer. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just take the example of Jesus' sacrificial life and imprint that upon us this morning. Because Jesus, without your life, without your death, without your resurrection, we would still all be lost in our sin. I ask that you remind us today that we're no longer slaves to sin, but alive in you. And help us to learn to live as you did, sacrificially and willing to lay our lives down for others. Father God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the Hebrew people, when you read the Bible, you see the Hebrew people were very experienced in understanding exactly what Jesus did. When they had a heart that was open, a heart that was willing to see Jesus, he, they understood what he did because they were very familiar with this idea of animal sacrifice. In the Old Testament, a Jew would take a, an animal that they had been raising for a long time, a perfect animal, and hand that to a priest who would then sacrifice it as payment for their sins. So when Jesus did that, to the Jewish people, many of them, it just clicked in their head that Jesus was now that sacrificial lamb for, that died for their sins. That atoning sacrifice is and was effective, but it's not a sacrifice that had to happen over and over again. It was sufficient for all eternity. And through Christ, we are completely redeemed from those ashes of our former life. So let's look at the, these ideas today and start with talking about humility and sacrifice. We're going to begin in, in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. This is Paul talking about Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now we covered humility in week two, so we're not going to spend too much time there, but I do have to take a moment to recognize that when we talk about sacrifice, there has to be humility in that sacrifice. After all, if you think about it, Christ willingly gave up heaven to come to earth a sacrifice for our sin. He let go of his position. He let go of that power and instead laid all of it down, all that majesty he experienced in heaven. He laid it all down to become a humble servant and not only become a humble servant, but to give his life for those that he came to save. Jesus came knowing, knowing from early life that his mission was to rescue the world from the curse of sin. And he knew where his life was going to end up, on that old rugged cross. And that brings us to the point this morning about living a sacrificial life. And that point is, there will be a cost. And there is a cost. If you're going to follow in the footsteps of Christ, which is what it means to be a disciple, then you will experience sacrifice. 
In fact, I'll just come out and say it. If you choose Jesus, there will always be a personal cost to you. And Jesus didn't hide this at all. Jesus didn't sugarcoat it at all. He came right out and told us this. In Luke chapter 14, he said it, He told the crowds that were following him this. And by the way, many of them after they heard this walked away. In Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25, it says that large crowds were now traveling with Jesus. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Which of you wishing to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost to see if he has the resources to complete it? Otherwise, if he lays a foundation and is unable to finish this, the work, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this man could not even finish what he started to build. Or what king on his way to war with another king will not first sit down and consider whether he can engage with 10,000 men the one who is coming against him with 20,000. If he is unable, he will send a delegation while the other king is still far off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus was pretty serious when he was talking about the sacrificial attitude that we are to have as his disciples. And you'll notice that this is not a very popular verse among prosperity preachers, unless you're using it to give them more money. And admittedly, it's one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. This is not something that brings joy to our heart. This is something that, that we look at and we, we look inside ourselves and say, is this me? Is, I mean, can I honestly say that this is how I'm living my life? Jesus' challenge to us is to give up everything. Family, plans, position, in, in the process of discipleship. To paraphrase the lesson of this passage is to say, you have to be willing to let go of everything if you follow Christ. After all, Jesus sacrificed everything to bring us to redemption. Likewise, we need to do the same to share that message of redemption with other people. This entire principle of sacrifice is clearly spelled out for us in Paul's letter to the Galatian church. And it introduces us to the idea that we as Christians are crucified with Christ. We are to be crucified with Christ. In Galatians 2.20, he says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's, many, it's one of many of what I call the oxymorons of the Christian faith. 
It's things that are totally opposite to our way of thinking, yet they are the truth that we are supposed to follow. For example, in order to truly live, we have to die. In order to elevate yourself in the kingdom of God, you must humble yourself and not care about being elevated. The world says if you want something, work hard, earn it. But in the kingdom of heaven's economy, in order to gain eternal life, you have to do nothing but believe. And as I said, these principles seem opposite to our normal way of thinking. And this is why the ideas of discipleship and sacrifice can be so difficult to grasp and to understand and to to live out in our lives. Yes, we have to be willing to let go of everything once we believe. And yes, there will be opposition to that. But there's also a promise that yes, God will be with you always. In fact, he lives in you, empowering you to live this life of faith. Again, it's all through the power of God and through the Holy Spirit living within us. The book of Hebrews describes Jesus this way. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Yes, sacrifice It takes a decision of our will to do it. It takes courage, conviction, and confidence in Jesus, but it's worth it. And that is the next point. It's worth it to sacrifice for Christ in this life. As Hebrew 1 says, run the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It was a joy for Jesus to do this. And Jesus sacrificed his life for the joy set before him, and that joy was your face. That joy was seeing you coming to him one day and being able to spend eternity with him in heaven. That's what makes it so worth it is that we will experience that same kind of joy when we learn to serve and sacrifice for Jesus. Think about the last time maybe you did some sort of service project or did a huge favor for a friend. Maybe you helped somebody move or you watched the fur babies while they were on vacation. Something that you sacrificed time and energy, possibly even money to serve and be a blessing to someone else, how good that made you feel when it was all done. When I was at my first church, I was asked to head up the preparation for an honor-bound conference. Honor-bound was kind of the, the Assembly of God version of Promise Keepers. And it was a huge event. We had a, Our first church, we had a thousand-seat church, and over 800 men had signed up for it. And we had had to coordinate everything from worship to 
childcare to feeding people to providing shuttles to hotels, parking, security, speaker stuff, just all kinds of stuff that they had to be prepared for. And I took one of my two weeks of vacation from work to prepare for it. I probably spent at least 16 plus hours a day planning, holding meetings, setting security, finding out little things. Like, do you know that famous speakers have a preferred water that they like to drink? Because they're, they have people that look at their throat and say, okay, you need this kind of water and it will help you um, continue to be able to speak and not learn your voice. I thought when we had specific waters that they were just being prima donnas, but somebody had to explain that to me. That it's, no, it's actually kind of a prescription for them to have that kind of water. Then we found out we had to feed these people lunch for three days. I'm like, well, how are we going to do that? 800 people, we don't have kitchens that big. We had a small kitchen that belonged to the original church, and then when it expanded, they had uh, probably the ability to feed maybe 50 or 60 or 100 people at a time in, in the other kitchen. I'm like, well, how are we going to do that? And then I had an idea. We had a huge pole shed in the back that we kept things in, and I went out there and and cleaned it up and got a leaf blower and blew out all the dust. It looked incredible. Somebody called the fire department because they saw so much stuff going up in the air. They thought there was a fire back there. I mean, it was, it, was, it was a big job. And I remember it was getting toward night at the time that I finally got done with it. I did it the day before the, the conference was supposed to begin. So it was nice and clean to, to be able to serve people food out of there. And... I was just covered in dust and, and grime and, and everything else. It was late July in uh, Kenosha. That's like a tropical heat like we've been experiencing here the last few days. And so I was, I was probably a mess. And I remember walking back into the church and the entire board of elders and the board of deacons met me in the foyer and shook my hand and thanked me profusely for, for getting everything ready for this conference. And... and I remember one of them was actually Dick Falcon, the guy who I mentioned today in Sunday school who just went to see Jesus, um, used the, the words, thank you for your sacrifice for the kingdom. And I didn't even really think about it as a sacrifice at that time. I just thought it was part of just serving Christ. But I guess looking at it, yeah, it was a little bit of a sacrifice. But I also know it was a life-changing conference for many of the men there. We saw hundreds of salvations, hundreds of rededications to, the, to Jesus through this conference. And it showed me that when we trade our selfish desires and wants for a life of discipleship and serving others, the sacrifices that we make will have that kind of meaning and purpose. Now, how many of those 800-plus men that came to that conference even knew who I was? Nobody except for the people of our church. I didn't, I didn't even get to meet a lot of them because I was in the background running around like a chicken with my head cut off, making sure everything was going okay. But because of the sacrifice of many, not just me, we had dozens of volunteers doing everything from security to parking to food service, ushers, you name it. They all sacrificed to come together so God could get a hold of 800 men's hearts for the kingdom of God. For me, even though when the next Monday came and I was exhausted at the end of it, 
It was so life-changing and fulfilling that it was better than any vacation where I did nothing or, or traveled or anything, better than any vacation I had ever had. I once heard an illustration of a man who belonged to a church his entire life. He came from poverty, grew up poor, never married, and could only find a job as a janitor for a large company. But on his spare time, he would come to church on his days off and to church late on Saturday night and clean it and prepare it for Sunday. He would do it all by himself. Big church, do all the vacuuming, the mopping, the cleaning every single Sunday. And he did this for over 50 years in his church, all by himself, before he passed and appeared before Jesus in heaven. And the man, seeing Jesus in all of his glory, fell on his face, and he begged forgiveness because he feels, felt he didn't do anything for his Savior. Jesus reached down and picked him up and said, My beloved son, turn around. The man turned around he saw a vast sea of people he didn't even know. People that, from obviously that would have been from overseas. And Jesus began to point them out to this man. He said, that one person right there came to your church. He got saved. He became a missionary to Africa. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are now in the kingdom of heaven because of him. He said, that person reversed an entire family tree. That whole family had been rebellious against God for decades and, and generations. Yet that one man turned it around. Not only did he turn it around for his immediate family, he turned it around for his larger family. And that family began to go out and touch their neighbors and led to a revival in their city. He said, that person over there is a businessman who went to your church whom I was able to bless, and he funded great many ministries in his lifetime. A great number of the people you see here are here because of his faithfulness. He said, all of that, my son, I credit to you, to your small act of sacrifice all those years. I credit all of that to you. Your faith contributed to all of them now belonging to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, oftentimes we think that we have to do something that's huge for Jesus. But it's always the little things that mean the most. It's always the small areas of faithfulness that will echo into eternity in ways that we could not even comprehend. Every act of service you do, no matter how small it may seem in your eyes, or even in the eyes of the world, will someday have a name and a face, and most importantly, a soul attached to it in the kingdom of God. Finally, without the sacrifice of Christ... There is no redemption. And without the sacrifice of all the saints who have gone before us, 
there is no church. We honor the people who have sacrificed in the past. They handed that baton now to us so that we can sacrifice to see the gospel go forth in our time as well. Sacrifice is powerful. As we saw in the, the story in the beginning of the message, it changes the outcome of that battle. It, today, it can change someone's life who needs help. And it can even redeem people for eternity. So I encourage you today to remember that your sacrifices for God are not in vain. Matter of fact, there's a thing hanging up on my desk that says just that. That remember that your, your sacrificial work for Christ will never be in vain. Even when it seems that nothing is happening, even when it seems like it's a dry season, even when it seems that no matter how hard you try, nothing seems to be happening, you don't know what's happening in the spiritual. You don't know how your faithful echoes through your sacrifice are echoing into eternity. And that is going to be one of the glories of heaven when Christ shows us exactly how it did. Finally, today is a good as day as any to rise above any shame that may be in your life right now. To rise above sin and to accept the gift of God through Jesus Christ. He not only saves you from your sin, he saves you from your shame. Let's all rise. Father God, it's my sense that today's church believes that the little things mean nothing. They also believe that maybe they've messed up too much in life to make a difference from the kingdom today. But you revel in using the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. So, Lord God, I ask, Father, that you help reach into everybody's spirit and soul right now. Take away condemnation. Take away fear and doubt and unbelief. And let them see and believe again that the sacrifices they make in this life for you are powerful, Lord. That they will be able to be rewarded for them for all eternity. And that you are not finished with them yet. It doesn't matter what they have done. It doesn't matter where they are here in life for you. What matters is that the fact that Jesus Christ's redemption saved them from their sin. And that you are willing to use them even today to bring glory to his name. Father God, I just bless your people now. Show them different ways they can serve you this week even if it involves sacrifice, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. Use us to proclaim the name of Jesus in thought, word, and deed to everyone we meet. Father God, I just bless your people now, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.